0: We started a um, series last week, and it was a bit of a gun blast, like shotgun blast for just all over the place. And it has to do with worship. And I'm going to continue with that. We're going to be there a while. And we're looking at David's tabernacle. If you were not here last week, I unfortunately just don't have the time to recap. And I I would ask you to go and listen if you really want to have a good understanding of worship. You know, worship is... People say worship is far more than music, I understand that it is, but there's a heavenly order of worship that you see in Revelations 4 and 5, and you'll see then the heavenly order of worship that the worship is continual, never stops, it is musical, and it's centered all around the attributes and the aspects of who God is, not who we are. And there's something that God, and the Bible says in Revelations 4 and 5, when that kind of worship takes place, God releases his resources and his government, his authority, his power. He releases it. When I was younger, I used to always, you know, you was raised in a Christian home and people say, you know, you must worship Jesus. And I think, like, why does he want worship? Like, he's pretty fine by himself. And it's not, you know, about he needs worship. It's actually God is looking. The Bible says in John 4 that God is searching where you can find worshipers who will worship in spirit, that's from the spiritual part of you that comes alive when you get saved, in spirit, which has fellowship, spirit to spirit, and in truth. In other words, I'm not just going through the motions. What I sing, I have spiritual understanding, and I sing in something of authority. Why? Because God looks, because he's looking for a witness. He's looking for something that looks like that. And when he finds a witness of true worship, he releases his resources, his authority, and breakthrough on the earth. So it's actually his goodness. He wants to bless, so he looks for worship, real worship. And worship in heaven is musical. In 1 Chronicles 28, I think it's verse 9 to 11, David gives his son Solomon the plans to build a temple, and he gives him all the plans. He says, of the things which I saw by the Spirit, he saw what worship was like in heaven. And David added an entire dimension that was never before existed on the earth. All worship up until David's time had been sacrificial. One or two people had broken out in song. It's like they almost got it and then they stopped. And even when Miriam broke out in a prophetic song, she actually changed, she added things to the Hebrew language. One prophetic song changed the language. And so David was a little shepherd boy who loved to worship the Lord musically But when he was watching for many, many, many years. And he saw things and discovered things through musical worship. I believe, personally, that's why he became king. He loved to worship when no one was watching. He was faithful in another's house. He's, he looked after someone else's sheep. But friends worship, and he released all seven words of Hebrew praise. There's seven different words for praise in Hebrew. And the English language doesn't do it justice. It, some of it means lifting up the hands. It means to thanks, to bless, to, to actually sometimes it says to be clamorously foolish. It's not a Western expression of worship, everyone neatly in their rows, and it's not that at all. You know, that's why when he came and he danced before everybody in front of the whole of Israel, he danced. Some people think he was naked. He wasn't. He had a linen ephod on, and his wife looked at him and despised him. And he said to her, I will become more undignified than this to give him glory. Because, you know, there's something in humility. There's something, I will do whatever it takes. So that God can find a witness so his glory can be released, not so just that we can be blessed, that's wonderful, but that the world may see and know who God genuinely is. And worship does that. Nothing else does it like worship. So David saw things, even in Amos 6, I think it's 6:15, or I cannot remember six verse five maybe it says he invented instruments that had never before been seen. Where do you think he got that from? Heaven. He saw things, and he brought them here. And so he established what they called David's tabernacle. which was just a fancy word for tent, but it means a holy habitation. And so you had Moses' tabernacle, which was for atonements and sacrifice and all the blood and all the stuff, yeah, in the desert. And then David builds a tabernacle. And you had two tabernacles operating on the earth at the same time. And David took the ark and he put it in David's tabernacle in a little temporary structure that he built. And he just put it there. And they worshipped for 33 years, 24-7, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, just under 10,000 full-time musicians and singers for 33 years, the exact length of Jesus' life. It's all pointing to something. What he did was break open what new covenant worship looks like. And today in the church worldwide, not here I'm saying a lot of what I'm speaking about or preaching about is very technical. And for some of you, you're gonna be like, Well, I'm not musical. You are, because you can speak. And you have hands, which are actually instruments. That there's stuff in scripture that if we could see it and if we could break out of our comfort zones, we have no idea what God can do and wants to do. But we we learn to worship his way, not our way. Yeah? And he has revealed this in the word. In the word. And it's just not often taught on. And the Lord started to show me this years ago. And it actually, firstly, it broke my heart. But it's just that there are expressions of praise and honor and worship that can bring breakthrough. If you struggle with depression... Isaiah 61 talks about it. Garments of praise. That word praise is one of the Hebrew words to It means a prophetic new song that bursts out. You know, it's doing exactly what you don't feel like. It says a garment of praise for a spirit of of despair. (laughs) There are things in God's word. Now, we're going to get into some stuff, and I'm going to just, it's going to be technical. We're doing some doctrine today, and you all say, Yay. wonderful, wonderful. We love doctrine. It's not as exciting for some of you, but it lays the foundation for what we're coming in the next weeks. We're going to speak about what is the sealer, what is the sealer. You know the word sealer in Psalms? What do you do with that? Because that actually is talking about cooperation of you guys. How do I cooperate with the group? What are all the bodily expressions? You don't need to know all of that, but what do they do? And what is the power that singing has? What does the Bible say? All these cool things. Because most Westerners, and I am one, we just, we get stuck. Who knows what I'm talking about? You know, it's like, Lord, I love you. Amen. It's like, come you know, there's something, and you don't want it to just be flesh. You don't want to just, people don't want to be hypocritical. And over the years and years and years and years, all of that is shut down, shut down, shut down. To such a point that I think it was in the early, when was it? Early 1900s, I think it was. And a man wrote that there's no such thing as instruments in God's house. I mean, it's nuts. Honestly nuts. And he actually had a system of accountability that was supposed to go through this man. And he wrote an article, and I don't want to get into which denomination. It doesn't matter. He made something that sounds good. And he didn't go through the systems of accountability, and people bought it, and worship started to do this musical expression. God created it's a force that He put into the earth when He said, "Let there be light," which I explained last week. It's a force that He put into the earth that speaks a universal language. Sport is similar. Go Nats! Yeah, it's awesome. But you know, people can gather around a sporting event. Now worship is, they can gather around a sporting event even if they don't like each other. It just equalizes everyone. Yeah? Music is like that times a thousand. It really, really is. So we're going to get into some of what David's tabernacle is. And we're going to see two major points. I'm not sure we're going to get through it all. I'm going to go fast in the beginning. And if you're asking yourself, do I need to understand all the stuff he's talking about? Actually, no. You know why? Because I'm preaching about what we've just done. When they started to sing, that's Tehillah. When they started to sing, when they went off the chart, that's Tehillah. They started to sing a new song from the heart. Then you had a psalmist, he sings and it rhymes. And who felt the shift in atmosphere? Who felt, okay? That all is in here. They knew exactly how to do that. So it's something we're doing. The last thing I want is for people to get you know we get all intellectual and we'd be like am I doing this one or that one now or no don't don't do that just be free we're already doing it but I want to bring extend an invitation to people to see why we worship like this and that we're just scratching the surface of what can actually be established and God can be enthroned in an entire region it's just interesting to me that in Charles Wesley's day, he got arrested, as I said last week, for writing hymns that branched off of eight melodies that they were allowed to use. He wrote 6,000 hymns. But through that worship, it wasn't just God moving, it was they established a region that even the ships that when they came into port, the people would fall out on the spirit. This is historical truth, you can, it's written. People would fall out by the power of God in a ship that was coming into port if they got near enough. God had been enthroned in that region. And they worshipped. But you also need the word. Amen? So we're going to look at two things. David's tabernacle. It's more than worship. And then the Davidic order of worship. Sorry, the Davidic order of worship is just what we call it. But it's, it's actually God's order of worship. Because he copied what he saw in heaven. Okay, so. The two most musical books in the Bible. What are they? Psalms and 1 Chronicles. I would say Chronicles, but mostly 1 Chronicles, uh, both of them. So there were three dwelling places of God in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, please turn to Acts 15. There were three dwelling places of God in the Old Testament, the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David, and the temple of Solomon. And when God came to dwell in a sense, permanently with these people in those different tabernacles or those holy habitations. That's what tabernacle means. And so David, as I said, set up a tent. It was he had taken a vow in Psalm 132, just after he became king, he took a vow, said, I want to build a holy habitation. I want to build a holy habitation. So we're gonna go look at David's tabernacle. He spent an entire generation, 40 years, preparing God's people to host the presence of God in a way that never leaves. 40 years he spent and he thought it was going to be quick he's just going to do something and God didn't actually allow him to build the temple even though he gave David the plans he gave David very specific plans like he gave Moses but the tabernacle that was for the temple of Solomon but the tabernacle of David for worship was just a tent literally a temporary structure and he did that he said "I desire to create a holy habitation Moses took the same vow And they both built a tabernacle. It's just a desire for the world to know who God is. And so he desired this, but God wouldn't allow him to do it because of all the blood of his hands because of war. But God actually gave him something better. He said, David, my son, I will actually, I don't know if he knew this at the time, I will reveal to you how heaven worships and you will reveal to the earth what it's like to worship in a covenant that has not even yet come. And so God makes a covenant with David, said I will establish your throne forever and all the kings until Jesus are in the line of David. They all come from his bloodline. And Jesus is called the son of David. He will sit on the throne of David. You're gonna learn about the key of David because the shepherd boy loved to worship and no one watched. Yeah, so... Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council comes together and they say that people that are being saved, the Christians, they need to be, they need to be saved the old covenant way. That's by circumcision. They want them to be circumcised and they want them to obey the law. So it says that in Acts 15, verse 4 and 6. It'll be up behind me. So what they were saying was, we want salvation to be the that's how you used to become a Jewish proselyte. You have to be circumcised, the covenant of Abraham, and you have to obey the law, covenant of Moses. So they Pharisees had actually got saved. They believed Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but salvation actually still the Old Testament way. And so James stands up and says, no, no, because they were talking about the Gentiles that had come in and Paul tells his stories and Peter tells about Cornelius in Acts 10. And then James stands up and reads this. He says this from Amos 9 verse 11. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins Amos says, I will close up the breaches. That's everything that divides God from his people. And I will set it up so that the rest of mankind, what's the result? May seek the Lord. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all these things. So this was the answer to whether they need to come into the people of God as Christians the Old Testament way or not. And he gives this. No, it's the tabernacle of David. Now, the tabernacle of David, the main point we're on, is much more than worship. Much bigger than that. But it was established on worship. And so the worship factor of the tabernacle of David is forever. People say they didn't worship like that in the New Testament. Well, they did because what they looked for to worship in the New Testament was the Old Testament. You don't have to be a genius because it hadn't been written yet. So they based it on the Davidic order of worship. Even Jesus sang a hymn. Paul worshipped like that in Acts 16 in prison. Where do you think they got all that from? Yeah? Ephesians 5, Colossians 3 talks about speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Songs of the Spirit. Where did they get all that from? The restoration of David's tabernacle. About more than worship. It's about royal authority, royal priesthood, and royal rightness—I could write righteousness, but I like rightness. It sounded cooler. So, royal rightness—and why? Why is this very, very important? Because these are the things that David's tabernacle theologically point to. So, I'm going to go through this quick, and then we're going to get into some musical things. You don't have to remember all of this. It's just to show you that it's all through Scripture. Are we good? Royal authority. David set up a temporary tent, as I said, where he placed the very person, the very power, the very presence of God, which was the Ark of God. I don't think we can quite understand what the Ark of God was like to be around that. It was God. They put it before when the Philistines had captured it. That's just before David built the structure. The Philistines had captured it because of Eli. You know, Eli, the priest, had two wicked sons, if you read in Chronicles. And through that process... The Philistines, the enemy, took the ark. And so this is David, how he goes and gets the ark and restores it back. But when they took the ark, they put it in front of Dagon, the most powerful false god at the time. And he fell down. I like that. They woke up in the morning and he's face down. And they're like, oh, no. So they put him back up. So they get up the next morning and he fell down again. But this time his head came off and his arms came off. So they didn't put him back up. So the ark of God is the very person and power of God. And David had vowed that he would do this. And so the royal authority, it's very important. Why do I say this royal authority? A lot of people will tell you that the tabernacle of David, the restoration of it that Acts speaks about, is speaking about the restoration of the government of God in the church and in the earth. Now that's true. But why is is it true? Because when David set up this little tent, I mean literally it was just a tent, And he put the Ark of God there. It was just a place. And we actually don't know exactly where it is, which there's a reason for that. But then that little hill became known as the Mount Zion. Then it extended, became known as Zion was like the area. Then the whole of Jerusalem became known as Zion. But David set up his throne on that hill. And he ruled his authority as a king, is the height of Israel's history. He ruled and governed from where worship opened heaven. All government decisions, all business decisions were made from a throne, from a seat of authority that had been, where the heavens had been opened through continual worship and continual praise. And all decisions were made because of that. Bible says God will be enthroned upon praise. David did that physically as a royal king. And it's very important for us to understand. Very, very important for us to understand. Because Isaiah twenty two, twenty two says this. The key of the house of David, I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. So he established something that even in the spirit realm, which we cannot see, something in heaven was made. Think about it. Something in heaven was made and it was called the key of David. And if you have that key, you can shut things that no one can open and open things that no one can shut. And it's talking about the royal authority. And it even says, it's talking about a guy called Eliakim when it says that in Isaiah 22, 22. And what would happen in those days is if you were a steward, you weren't the actual king, but you were a steward, or if the king trusted you, he would give you a key and he would attach it on a hook on your shoulder. And you'd walk around and people would know, that's the king's steward. That's the king's trusted friend. That's, he has a key on his shoulder and he can go in and out the king's house. He can go in and out. He can let people in and out. He's trusted 100%. So he gets given a key, which is authority. Now, Jesus, eventually in Revelation 3, 7, it quotes the exact same verse. And Jesus is the one in heaven who actually holds the key of David. Why? Why? You know the word Eliakim? His name means where God raises up. So David established something that one day is pointing to the son of David who will come, who will have to be raised up, resurrected, raised up, and who will hold the key of access to God. He will make a way because he has all authority and all power. It's the full restoration of the government and the authority of God. Are you with me? What's important to understand is what was it all built on? Worship. (laughs) Because the key, the authority, we all have technical authority as believers. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, you go. He gave it to you. But the release of that authority comes when God knows you're trustworthy, which is built through what? Worship. God will be enthroned on the praises of his people. So when we worship, people say we study it. I want to learn the authority I have. Just worship. And you will discover things in God's heart. And he puts them in your heart. And you begin to take hold of something. So I hope that makes sense. Now there's more than that, which I won't get into, which is eschatology Wherever you stand on that, some people think Jesus will come and sit down on the throne of David and rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Some don't. So it even extends beyond that, but we're not going to get into that today. But the bottom line is God is enthroned on the praises of his people. We have royal authority. Why? Your sons and daughters. Are you not? So you're part of his family, which makes you an heir, which gives you a key on your shoulder. Now, Jesus has the key. But he desires, when we worship, God looks for a witness, to release the authority of Christ into the earth through you. So the key of David was developed through worship, but the the authority, it came from a king. Because one day there's coming someone who God will raise up, who will open the way and open the way so that all people may have access to God and all people may have an authority as part of God's family. All established on worship. All established on worship. Praise. God, we enthrone you upon praise. And his authority and his government begins to come down. And things begin to shift in our region and in our family and in our heart. Because we worship. I know that was a lot, but I hope it makes sense. What else did David Tabernacle point to? Royal priesthood. I'm just going to go through these really fast. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. That's you, speaking about you. Why was it? If you think about this, think of the Pharisees in Jesus' day, right? Imagine someone said, hey, I'm gonna go and change the temple. I'm gonna just go change things. They would have said, uh, excuse me? No. Very religious. They would have really had a bit of a issue with that. Do you agree? And how come in David's day, he could just go take the very ark and go stick it in a temporary tent? There probably should have been some freaking out. Why was there none? Because he wasn't even, only the priests of Aaron's line were allowed to touch the ark, handle the ark. They had to be sanctified, they had to wash and do all these things. How come David could do that? In Hebrews 7, it reveals that there's a different priestly line than Aaron's line. And it's a royal priestly line. And it comes from King Melchizedek, who Abraham paid tithes to. And the Bible doesn't record his death. So it says King Melchizedek lives forever. And it says in Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus is a high priest in the order of King Melchizedek. Okay? Who was Jesus? The son of? David. So the Bible says. He came from that line. David understood something. He was a prophet, priest, and king which we'll get into later. But David actually functioned in a royal priestly line that came from Melchizedek that ended up with Jesus. (laughs) I know this is a lot. So he had a different priestly line, not even of Aaron's house. And he saw that. And that's where the covenant comes from. All the kings that come will come in your line. And he wore a linen ephod. It says it in 1 Chronicles 15. He operated as a priest. He offered sacrifices, he did stuff. He wasn't a priest because he was in the line of Melchizedek. He was the one who pointed to the priestly line of the high priestly line of Christ Jesus and he took the ark as a king and as a priest and he set it up in a temporary tent without contestation. No one could say anything. He saw all of that. (laughs) He really lived beyond his time and he established something. Why? Because one day through Christ, our mediator, our high priest, we would be called a royal priesthood. Who's that? You. A kingly priest, a royal priesthood of the house of God. That's you. We are all royal priests. That's what the Bible says because we are God's sons, God's daughters, so we are royal priests. Meaning we have access to the presence of God, to the power of God, to the love of God. The way has been opened. We have access all the time. And it's established On worship and the last thing is the rightness the righteousness 1 Chronicles 16 so they brought the ark of God and they set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it and they burnt offerings and peace offerings before God and David when he had finished the offering for the burnt offerings and peace offerings he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and he distributed to everyone of Israel both man and woman to everyone a loaf of bread a piece of meat and a cake of raisins your Bible might say a flagon of wine that's all priestly stuff. He did all the stuff, stuff that a priest would do. He was not a priest, but he, in a sense he was. What's very important? In the tabernacle of David, there was never any sacrifices that came, except for this one time. Why? It's pointing to someday. all points to Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. Someday, there's going to be someone who will come, the very presence and the power of God, that will be a one-time sacrifice. And after that one-time sacrifice, all God's people will have permanent access as a priest, as a son, as royal, as a priest. All of them will have access after a one-time sacrifice to worship in his presence, even if you have issues in your heart. One-time sacrifice, for all time, prophetically demonstrated here. And these two sacrifices that came were both what they call free will sacrifices. They weren't for sin. They were out of a heart of thank you, God, thank you. And then what did they do? They took off that sacrifice and partook in a meal. That sounds a lot like communion. It's all pointing to Jesus. Everything David did. It's pointing, Christ, Christ, there's one coming, there's one coming, there's one coming. And it gave access. What do I mean by that? Think about this, the ark of God. You know that in this temporary structure that David set up, that tent had no veil. Consider that. That tent had no veil like the tabernacle of Moses, no veil. The ark was just there. So God's people could come and worship with open access, with no veil, with no separation. I will close up the breaches. I will restore the tabernacle of David with nothing there and worship in the presence of God. With no sacrifices, with no guilt offerings, no sin offerings, no blood offerings. <laughs> he did that for 33 years. The same length as Jesus' life. David instituted something of the new covenant in the old covenant. (laughs) He was quite a guy. We'll say that. Now, there were two tabernacles operating at the same time. I don't know if you remember that. We'll read about it later. But Mount Gibeon, that was six miles away from where this Mount Zion was. And that's where they had taken the tabernacle of Moses and set it up. So they still had the veil and the sacrifices and the blood and the altar and the brazen, all the stuff out of the desert, all there another mountain about six miles away but no presence, no ark and they had all these Levites priests doing the same thing all the time going through it but no ark, David put the ark in this tent so you have two tents and so David knew ah, oh, I have to appoint two priests so he appoints two priests priest Zadok who was over that tent and you know what the word Zadok means? you know what his name means? righteousness Why? The tabernacle of Moses was about the atonement of sin. He became sin, the Bible says, so that we may become righteous. So that whole tabernacle was about becoming righteous, becoming I'm made right before God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So his name means righteousness, that priest Zadok. And then the priest that was over this little, even though David was, he still established a priest who took over his tent, like the chief priest in a sense. And his name was Abiathar. You know what his name means? My father is great. The revelation of God as a father did not come until the New Testament. Yeah, David sets up a tent, removes the veil, offers a one-time sacrifice, gives access to all of God's people, and says, Come and worship in the presence of your father. He's your father. In the Old Testament. All pointing to Jesus. Jesus is going to do this forever. He's going to do this forever. Jesus is going to do this forever. How did David bring all of this about? I know that's a lot. But how did he bring all of this about? By establishing the heavenly order of worship. The appointing of singers and musicians and gatekeepers. It sounds so silly. He established on earth musically in worship what he saw in heaven and through that all of the stuff came out it kind of makes us want to go and see what did he actually do what did he appoint, how did it work there was an incredible structure to it and it's still relevant today and almost no one does it we don't know if it's not exact it will have a different expression in each culture, in each generation but it's still present today the Davidic godly order of worship of heaven. And God looks, where will they build this? So that I may dwell there in a way that releases my power, my resources. Why? What was the reason Acts 15 gave? So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. That's why we worship like we do here, friends. It's not culturally the right thing to do. We need to have two, three songs, 15 minutes, and then let's get to the preaching. The preaching should never be the center of any service. It's Christ to worship, to teach God's people to worship. Worship him. Look to him. Learn from him. Let him shift and move your heart as we establish and build a throne, the government of God, the authority of God. And people just get healed in worship. And people's hearts change and things begin to shift and my feelings towards my spouse, I I just, I can forget everything. Why? Because his order is established. Very practical. So what was the Davidic order of worship? Just the basic. I don't have time to explain this, but David was the only other figure in the Bible who was known as a prophet, priest, and king. He's pointing to Jesus, the prophet, priest, king. So David was that. And the Bible says that, and I can give you all the scriptures another time. But 1 Chronicles 15, we're going to read big portions of scripture, then we'll make some comments. 1 Chronicles 15 verse 1 is the beginning. David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. You know, you're called by God as a chosen royal priesthood, you, to carry the ark, to carry the very presence of God. And people, it it sounds nice, but most people don't really believe, well, that's for you because you're special and a preacher. No, I'm just like you. We are given over to actually carry the presence of God. That when you walk in the room, something's different because you're there and it's not because of you. It's because of who's with you says, to carry the ark of God, but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God, to minister before him. And David gathered all of Israel to bring up the ark of the Lord and set it in its place. Okay, now, go to 1 Chronicles 25. And we all rush there and we're so excited. This is the order of the beginning of the order of worship, the Davidic order of worship. And you will see it will have a kingly structure. Why? Because David was a king. It'll have a prophetic culture and it'll have a priestly appointments. Those are just fancy things I made up, but they're actually in the Bible and you'll see them throughout. So let's go to 1 Chronicles 25 verse 1. Moreover, David and the captains of the army. I'm not going to read all of this because it's a bit intense with the names. Okay, so I might skip over with all the names. Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service some of the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jeduthun, who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. Those three men with the Bible, they were known as the chief musicians. Chief musicians, okay? And the number of skilled men, skilled is important, performing their service was of the sons of Asaph. And then it goes through all the sons of Asaph, who prophesied according to the Asaph under the hand of Asaph. Who prophesied according to the order of the king of Jaduthan, That's the other chief musician and all the sons of Jaduthan. And then it says, um, "Who prophesied with a harp to give thanks and to praise?" Those are the words for praise, yada and halal, to give thanks and to praise the Lord of Heman. And then it gives and of the sons of Heman, and it gives all the names. All these were the sons of Heman, the king's seer. Seer is a prophet. Each single one of those men. Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, in some place in the Bible, were called a seer. They were Prophets, which we'll get into, to exalt his horn. For God gave him 14 sons and three daughters. All these were under the direction of their father for music in the house of the Lord, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps for service of the house of God. Asaph, Cheduthin, and Heman, the three chief musicians, were under the authority of the king. And so the number of them with their brethren who were instructed. In the song of the Lord, all who were skillful was 288. And they cast lots for their duty, the small as well as the great, the teacher with the student. Now, that is not a passage of Scripture that most people are going to read all the time. It's like all the names. It reveals the divine order of worship that David starts to set up. It starts to reveal it. And it talks about three chiefs, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun. It uses the word prophesy. It uses the word skilled. It uses the word service, seer, instructed, skillful. And so you start to see there's a structure to this. Now, if you're a musician, can you put your hand up? Really high. Okay. If you're not a musician and you like to be a musician, put your hand up. See, it's it's always amazing to me. People love to, I want to be able to you'll probably find there's something in you that you're not aware of. Now, what is the kingly structure? And it's not all here. It's just a basic outline. Firstly, the kingly structure, David the king, is delegated authority. What did we see? There's an actual structure of authority. Now, look at worship teams. Okay? There's a structure of authority in the house, in the tabernacle of David, in the worship order. It is David the king. Then this guy, Kenaniah, who we'll get into a little while. He was second. Then these three chief musicians. Then under them all the sons of each of their house there's an authority structure and the worship in the house of God even on a worship team there should be an authority structure it's like who's leading no we just just flow you know we just go there's an authority structure in scripture very important and it's all based on delegation they were under the hand, that word means chastised. They were under the hand of their father. These, these young boys were raised all their life in this thing, in all their lineage, all the way through. A thousand years later, you still see, so and so of the sons of Asaph, a singer. A thousand years later. Under the hand of musical instruction. See, I do believe the church should be the one revealing to the world. The Bible says all of the world will learn from Israel. The church should be the one revealing musical ability to the world. They were under the authority. It says also says they cast lots for their duty, the teacher and the students. Now we don't cast lots. The last time they ever cast lots was in Acts 2 and then the Holy Spirit came. What's it saying? The Holy Spirit has the final say. So they had all these teams 33 years, 24 hours a day, 365 days a week, every hour on the hour, a new group would come in, a new band for constant worship. And how do they choose? They cast lots. So sometimes maybe the same group five, six times in a row. And you see the offenses and the insecurity on the, in, you know, the frailties. <laughs> I heard someone say musicians are temperamental. They're mental and they have a temper. But it's, it's not true, you know, there's, there's I should have been, I, I was, I believe, gifted as a musician. I just never did anything with it. So there, I understand the frailties that comes with the musician sometimes. And it's actually from the Lord, which we'll get into a couple weeks. But on the worship team, there's more chances for offense and issues. Well, they played three weeks in a row. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to play with them. I wanted to play with them. And I, they cast lots under a structure of authority. And today that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the final say. We just feel like this group should play again. We just, and that's okay. That all of this was put into place here in the Bible. Very, very important. So that's, there is a structure. Then the prophetic, there's a culture. David the prophet. Prophetic culture. It was a prophetic culture. In Samuel's day, he started a school of prophets. You know that? He started a school of prophets, Samuel. It says of Samuel that when he came into Ramah, where he lived, the men would physically tremble for fear because he carried God so well. And people will tell you prophets are no longer for today. That is a lie. Prophets are here. And they need to be raised up in the house of God. It says, Who should it gave you the words? Who should prophesy with the harp? It's a prophetic culture. And then it talks about Heben, the king's seer, and as I said, all of them were called seers, the chief musicians at one point. See, the Davidic order of worship ties together three three strands of a rope prophecy, praise, and prayer. I know people that just prophesy and prophesy and prophesy. It's sometimes not helpful. And people are just, I will pray, I'll pray, I'll pray. But there's no worship. There's three strands of that rope. Prophecy, praise, and prayer. (laughs) And they bind together in a prophetic culture. That intercession. Oh, that deep place of intercession where you're dealing with stuff for other people. You're actually changing things around their life the prophetic culture where people can pick up the nuances of God, the heart of God, and begin to declare the word of the Lord and the, 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 the desires of the Lord. and He speaks to all, all of us. What happened just now? I can feel in the room some people are like, uh, what did we just do? Where do you think he got that? you think he wrote it all down this morning? No. It's the three strands of a rope in God's word. The Davidic order of worship. You know, even the name of the book of Psalms is Sefer Tehillim. Tehillim is the prophetic unction, the new song that comes in your heart. It means in Hebrew, the songs of Tehila. That is the name for the book of Psalms. There was an, another name that used to have two names. Sefer Tehillim, Sefer Tethilim. Spontaneous prayer spontaneous songs and spontaneous prayer where you just, Lord, God, I worry, Lord, I bring this down. I pray for them. It was both. They came together. Real relationship with the Lord. I really know the Lord. I speak to the Lord. He speaks to me. I tell you what he says. There's a, there's a, I'm a son in his house and we worship his way and we hear him and we speak what he says and we bless him. There's a Hello, that's a Christian. Oh, how well, this needs to be restored in our day. Come in with Starbucks. I'm not, it's just part of the culture. Lord, I worship you. I worship you. Sit down, teach me. We miss so much to bring God's government into a region. And I'm just touching on stuff. You can imagine the depth that these guys went to. Why do you think it was the height of Israel's history? Why do you think Jesus is called the son of David? Why do you, all of this stuff. It was also a culture of excellence. Now, I'm gonna say this and then we'll probably have to end with this. Don't put this on our musicians, why? Why? But it was a culture of excellence. It said it, we read it. And the number of skilled men performing their service, they were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful. Those words skilled, the first one means occupation or vocation. It was their job. Service means labor. means, you know, I'm just worshiping the Lord and sometimes it feels like labor, especially if you have to play an instrument. Instructed means trained. Skillful, you know that word means discernment? They were trained in discernment. How were they able to be that excellent? 1 Chronicles 9.33, and I think it just lists, I don't know if it has the verse. It says this, these are the singers, David did this, who lodged in the chambers. They built their house right around the temple and were free from all other duties. They were employed in that work day and night. They were full-time. That's all they did. You know. get a real job, boy. No, no. That's all they did. That was a real job. And they became skilled, highly skilled. They were instructed in discernment. They were instructed in the prophecy. They were instructed. David employed a little under 10,000 full-time musicians and all their lineage. That's all they did. (laughs) 10,000. You know what the requirements were to serve in the tabernacle of David? This is according to Ray Hughes, who's a musicologist. They had to be born uh, as a Levite. You had to be a Levite. What does that mean? You have to be born again. Okay? Okay. You had to be over 30 years old and then later on the need got so big, David, it was the last words he said, change the age to 20 years. You had to go through the seven years in the school of prophets under Samuel. Seven years. You had to know the Bible by heart. Now it was a lot thinner back then. So that's helpful. But you had to know it by heart. Why? Because whatever you put in, it's going to come out. By heart. I used to challenge the youth group that we, we started a youth group, and well, they did, and I just joined it. And, but I challenged them. If you want to be a musician, go start with the Psalms and learn to sing six or seven of them and learn all the different ways they exo- Have a hundred words in your vocabulary for an attribute of God. Let it come out of you. Just build yourself. Build, 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 build. And so when God comes into a meeting, God, you are this and it just opens in the government of God, the authority of God. You had to make your own instrument. <laughs> you had to be under instruction in the school of music. Skilled. It's not, you know, killing me softly with your song. It's, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's awful. <laughs> wow, is this Josh? But yet it was never about music. It was about what David saw in heaven, but it, there was time, there was stuff you had to do, there was a whole school about this, a whole school to be trained. And so we go to a church and we say, Oh, I mean, the worship, you know, they made a few mistakes. You know, everyone who's up here has been giving time and effort, they all have, like, uh, it's not what they do full time. I, I'm not saying I don't have the faith if it doesn't happen. But unless we start to think according to Scripture and start to employ full-time musicians, there are certain things that won't be established. You know, and people in the church say, I mean, all they do is play the guitar. I mean, it's not about cultural sense. What does the Word of God say? Acts 15, to remove the things that divide me from my people is built on worship it's built on worship and there's a structure I'm out of time it says here in 1, 1 Chronicles 16 it says here verse 4 we read until the verse 3 that was the sacrifice and then it says and he that's David appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate that word means to record to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel Asaph the chief there it is again and then it goes through a bunch of names then go down to verse 37 It says, so he left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the Lord, the covenant of God, to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required. There it is again, full. And that word regularly is the same word in the Hebrew. You know, in the tabernacle of Moses, the the lampstand, the fire was never allowed to go out. It had to be kept alight continually. That's the same word. Continual worship that's not allowed to stop. That's what happened. It says to minister before the ark of the Lord continually as every day's work. It was their work. was their job. And Obed-Edom with his 68 and it goes through them. Then the son of Jedeson. Then it says, verse 39, and Zadok the priest. That's at the other tabernacle now. The one of Moses where the ark is not. On six miles away. It says Zadok the priest and his brethren and the priests before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt sacrifices on the altar. So they say, so that one's going on? And then it says down in verse 41, and with Heman and Jeduthun, the two chief musicians, and Asaph obviously, and the rest, like everyone else, were chosen, who were designated by name, to give thanks. That's yada. It's a word for praise. To give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. And with them, Heman and Jeduthun, to sound with trumpets and cymbals and musical instruments and the sons of Juduthan, the gatekeepers. It's just... There's so much in here that is God saying, my people, this is what David saw in heaven. Do this. And it won't make cultural sense in time. Trust me and do this. Watch what I will do. You know the, that man Kenaniah, we didn't read about him. It says it, it's all the way in 1 Chronicles 15. It says, and Kenaniah, actually, this is the last thing I'll read to you. It's a true story. It's the last thing. It says here in 1 Chronicles 15 22, Kenaniah, the leader of the Levites, was instructor in charge of the music because he was skillful. And then later it says, all the Levites who bore the ark, the singers, and Kenaniah, the music master. He was the one under David. David put this man Kenaniah in place. Personally, I believe him and David were the best musicians that have ever lived. He was the music master. He instructed all of them. And it says in King James, it says, Kenaniah, he was the chief of the Levites. Why? Because he was, you know, he was skillful. In the King James, it says, for he was given to song. You know what that word is in the Hebrew? It's not the word song, Shear. That's the word for song. It's masah, a prophetic burden. It says, because he was skillful. And that word is discernment. He was so discerning as a prophet. He was so discerning that his whole life was given as the head of all these musicians and he would take these kids he would take these men he would take the sons of Asaph, Jethro and Heman and he would say come I'm going to teach you what discernment is I'm going to teach you how to lay out a song and how to release a prophetic burden to bring a breakthrough in a region and they instructed them and instructed them and instructed them you can tell there's a lot there and I just don't have time it says, as we read, that he appointed some to record. You know what that meant? And this is the last thing. It really is. <laughs> he appointed those to commemorate, those to record. He re- re- appointed recorders, and they don't seem that important. If, we, if they didn't exist, we wouldn't have the book of Psalms. All That were all to healer songs. You know what they did? They followed the three chief musicians around, and David, and some others. They followed them around, 24-7. So that if they burst out in prophetic song, they would write it down. And then he would say, David would say, okay, recorder, run this, this psalm, put all the sealers in place, which we'll learn about next week, put them all in place and run the psalm down to Kenaniah. And Kenaniah will put it all together and he will put the structure and then he will decide where it goes in, into the tabernacle of David. I see it in worship today. I wrote the song. It's my song my song i wrote it it's mine not there give the song to the music master let him t- instruct you let him change it let him do this what he needs to do and you see what comes in worship when you worship the lord and t- what is birthed in a person's heart which is a new song will work for worship it'll become like a known song it'll become a song that everyone knows then it becomes a known song i know there's a lot there and yeah, I, I'm asking us as a church over the next few weeks, I'm traveling this week, my wife and I, we will not be here, but I'll be back for Sunday. If we can begin to just look at the scriptures and open our heart, next week is going to be far more practical, far more systematic. I'm trying to whet your appetite, reveal something saying, God, we want to do that. We kind of already do it, but there's more. Amen? Can we stand?